Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Jesus, thank you that you are with us and you are present. God, thank you for your great love for us. Um, Lord, thank you. Even on this topic of spiritual warfare, that can sound uh, intimidating, overwhelming, uh, mysterious. But Jesus, ultimately, you're king and you're the conqueror. And, and you gave everything for that victory. And then you rose from the grave. Jesus, you have defeated death. You have defeated the enemy, our enemy, Satan. God, you have dealt with the obstacles that, that rip us off and that would see us destroyed. And so, God, would you give us clarity this week and in the weeks to come of, of how we navigate um, this life on this earth, walking with you in the midst of the difficulties that we face. God, we have a real enemy and we, we struggle just in our own flesh. And God, we're in a broken, fallen world. And so there, there are very real obstacles. But thank you, Jesus, that you are conquering king and that we have victory because of you. And so guide us today and in the coming weeks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, if I needed any other evidence that the devil was real, you know, you get in a car and go on a road trip with a bunch of kids, and you realize really quick, he's at work all over the place, man. I mean, in my kids, in my wife, uh, definitely in me, pretty much every driver on the road. Like, I'm the only good driver out there on a road trip, I've realized. There's just a lot of bad drivers. Um, no, but listen, as, as we move into this topic, you know, I, I don't know where you're at when you, when you hear the preacher talk about the devil. What does that mean to you, you know? For, for some of us, we go, yeah, I get it. I know that. I believe that. Um, but often, like in our society, you know, we're modern now. You know, we've moved beyond that, that old school way of thinking from centuries ago. And, you know, we, we, we have a, a higher view of things. And so I would just propose to you that Satan is real. And so I would encourage you, if, 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 if you just give me 30 or 40 minutes here and, and see what you think afterwards, if you question that, let's just dive into this. But um, we're gonna talk about the fact that Satan is real. We're also gonna talk about the fact that he's powerful. But thank God for point number three, Satan is defeated, okay? So that's where we're heading this morning. So first of all, Satan is real. Now we see this throughout the scripture. It's in the Old Testament, you know, whether you look at Genesis and the fall of man, um, or you look to the story of Job, like Satan is real and at work and he wants to rip us off. Like whether we think we have an enemy or not, he knows he has an enemy. He hates God and he hates the people that bear his image. And so he's after us. And so we see that in the Old Testament. Listen, I think the best case for the fact that Satan is real is that Jesus believed in him. Jesus believed he was real. He encountered him, he interacted with him, he taught about him, and he put him in his place. But Jesus believed in the reality of Satan. We see it when he was tempted. Satan influenced Judas at the betrayal of Jesus. 
And Satan was absolutely at work in manipulating as Jesus was murdered, by the way, by some religious people. So he can show up anywhere. Uh, we see him in the New Testament letters. I think that's significant because when we talk about our victory in Christ, it's like, well, do I need to even be worried about this or think about this? Well, the New Testament letters, Peter, Paul, John, all these guys talk about our adversary, the devil, Satan, as, as a very real thing that we still face. Now, they always encouraged us, um, our place in Christ, but they, they emphasized, as we'll see, that we need to have an awareness that he's at work and wants to disrupt and then ultimately, I mean, the book of Revelation, like one of the primary things in the book of Revelation is about Satan's work and, and his desire to destroy and his ultimate defeat. Okay, so beginning to end, we see Satan in the scripture. So what I wanna do kind of just with point one here to establish that he's real, I just kind of wanna talk a little bit about his role, his legacy, kind of what, what he's up to, where he came from. And so we're gonna go through a few scriptures here to take a look at this. Um, so... Let's start with Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus is talking and he just says very simply and directly, he said to them, he's talking to his disciples here. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Satan's place of origin was in heaven. And, and there's a couple of kind of mysterious Old Testament passages that give us a little glimpse of this. Um, and also the book of Revelation kind of unpacks this a little bit more. So we're gonna check out um, three different passages for just a minute that give us a sense of this. So the first one is found in Revelation chapter 12, verses seven through nine. Jesus has just talked about Satan falling like lightning from heaven, and now we get a glimpse into that. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So Satan and other angels were cast out and defeated. And we get a glimpse of what led to this in both Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. So let's check this out. Isaiah 14, this is verses 12 through 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. That O day star, that's where we also get the word Lucifer, right there. He's this shining one. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Pride. Satan started out as an angel in heaven. And pride led to his downfall. He wanted to elevate himself above God. And the truth is, at the root of all of our problems in our flesh and sin nature, is that we find our flesh agreeing with his desire. Now, we might not do it in a direct way, like shouting to the sky, God, I'm not gonna bow down to you, I'm gonna be God. We just do it in the way we live. 
I just live as if I'm in charge of my life and I do what I want. And I actually align myself with the same principles that led to Satan's downfall, pride. I'm in charge, I'm king, I'm gonna live my way. That got him into trouble. And, and we read in Revelation, like he's the deceiver of the whole world. So his mentality has been spread throughout the earth. Uh, in Ezekiel 28, we get more of a picture of him here. Ezekiel 28, 13 through 17. Check this out. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. And on the day that you were created, they were prepared. When we read in the, in the, in the story in Genesis, you know, a lot of it gets translated the serpent, but it really means the shining one. This is Satan. He looked beautiful, glorious, majestic. God creates beautiful things. He made Satan beautiful and he was meant to enjoy God and his presence and be an angel. And somewhere along the way, he fell. He became obsessed with self and pride and caught up in his own beauty and glory as if he had done it and wanted to usurp God. Verse 14, you were an anointed guardian cherub. It's an angel. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. You know, I've, I've wrestled for years with like, why did God send Satan to earth? Like if he's so bad and he's our enemy, why is he here? Why would God let him come and torment us? Now, I'm, I don't wanna propose that I know all of the explanations and reasons why God would allow Satan to be here tormenting us, but one of them is answered right there. He is meant to be a sign to us of what we are capable of. Look at him, the one who was beautiful, who was wise, and look where it led in his pride when he separated himself from God. It's meant to be a warning to us that we can go, man, I can be that. I'm capable of that too. Whatever, whatever good is in me is a gift from God. He created me. And so when I'm walking in, in pride, selfishness, whatever, like, like Satan is meant to be a warning of, of our potential and what it leads to. Like the scripture tells us our sin leads to death. So it's meant to be a warning. Now, Satan still seeks worship in his pride. Y'all remember the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan? You know, it's interesting. He's gonna start out his ministry and what's the first thing he does? He goes and gets away in a desert to spend time with the Lord. And Satan wants to hijack this thing right from the start. And so he comes in his hunger and his weariness and he begins to tempt him. And the third temptation ties right into this idea of Satan's pride and worship. Matthew 4, 8 through 10. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world and their glory and said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That is the proper response to the temptation of the devil in our lives. Like there may may be all kinds of various struggles that we face and we'll talk in a minute here about how he operates. But like typically what is at root of the issue is pride. I know what I want, I know better. But worship is the proper response. He's God, I'm not. He made me, he made this world. He made my spouse that I love and enjoy. And then the next day, he made my spouse who's driving me crazy that I'm not getting along with. Like we're image bearers and we're meant to be worshipers. And so Jesus recognized, see, he, he wants to play upon, prey upon our weaknesses. And he's doing it to fulfill and satisfy himself and he's angry at God. And he, he, he wants to mock God. And when he's able to manipulate and harm the very people that God loves and made, he he gets off on that somehow. I got another one. Look how I wrecked and ruined that life. All right. Isn't this warm and fuzzy this morning? Great stuff. Okay, so good. Satan is real. Okay, so this this moves us into our our next point because I I want you to hear why, why do we need to be aware that he's real? Peter, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded. Why is this heavy this morning? Because it's meant to be a little sobering. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's real and he's dangerous. We're supposed to be aware of him because he wants to rip off and destroy and so, so let's kind of move into how is he powerful? How does he work? How does he operate? All right. Well, Jesus defines this really clearly in John 10, 10. I'm just gonna read the first half of that verse. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his purpose. That's why he's here. That's what he wants to do. He wants to steal good things from us. He wants to rip us off and he wants to kill and destroy. That's what he's after. But listen, just because Satan is powerful doesn't mean that he's like what we often picture. You know, I picture like pitchfork and, you know, the horns and the tail and like this gross, evil, malicious looking thing. But part of his power is in how he actually operates. He's in disguise. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 14. He's warning about, false prophets who come in and manipulate, and then he reminds us of how Satan works. So 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 and 14. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Friends, the the way he's powerful is that he's deceptive And what he's up to is appealing. Like if I saw this gross, ugly thing in front of me, 
trying to get me to destroy my life, that'd be a pretty easy temptation to walk away from. Uh, no thanks, I'm good. No, it's deceptive. He presents himself as something beautiful and what he offers as something enticing. And in fact, his favorite thing is that many modern people don't even believe he's real. He's like, perfect. Now I can really work to deceive. And so he uses even, even that sense of, of us not believing or being aware that he's there to operate behind the scenes, subtly, in the dark, appealing in unobvious ways. I want to give you another example of this. Um, again, Paul's talking about watching out for people who, who cause divisions in the church and stuff like that. And he, he gives a picture of how things work subtly and manipulatively. This is in Romans 16 now, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. That's what Satan appeals to, our own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Satan is a master manipulator. Smooth talk, flattery, building up our pride, appealing to our desires. And we're called to be aware because he's more subtle than we think. Paul's warning on this to be aware is in 2 Corinthians 2.11. He says, I'm letting you know all of these things so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. Listen, the reason I'm taking time to go through this and show you all these passages, I don't want you to think there's just some, like one little random place that kind of mentions the devil and he's kind of this annoying little flea over here picking at my heel. Like we see throughout the scripture his activity. And none of this is being shared to make us afraid, but man, we are supposed to be aware that he's at work and that he's gonna appeal in ways that are not obvious. He's gonna play to our, our innate desires. He's gonna play to those. And so I, I kinda wanna move into, we're gonna camp here for a minute or two in John chapter eight. I mean, it's, man, I would encourage you to really soak in that chapter. It's a really um, powerful and, and, and important interaction between Jesus and people who were beginning to really believe in him and follow him, but also some of the Jewish leaders, uh, the chief priests, the Pharisees, those guys are around um, and they're, they're aligned against him more and more. And we're just watching this entire conversation unfold. And, and Jesus directly links what's happening to Satan and his activity. And so let's check this out. So in John chapter eight, verse 44, Jesus says, I mean, he is being just as direct as can be. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. So his aim, his intention, steal, kill, destroy. He's a murderer. That's his aim. How does he operate? How does he accomplish that aim? He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So his goal is to destroy and his tactics 
are to lie. And specifically, his lies are meant to appeal to our desires. He designs them that way. I mean, he's a, he's a manipulative little devil. <laughs> he is. And so we're to take note of how he operates. Now, I, I wanna encourage you guys, a great book that I've read through twice now and strongly recommend, all right? We're all going together through the Discipleship Journey book. I, I hope you're going through it. It's a great book. We're in this chapter on spiritual warfare there. But I wanna, I wanna read you something from this book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. This is a great book. He, he takes the idea of the three enemies, Satan, our flesh, and the world, and he unpacks, he fleshes out how all that works together. Highly recommend it. It's not the Bible, okay? I don't agree with every single word on every single page, but man, he just does a great job unpacking this. But he connects in one really simple phrase how this works. So I want y'all to see this because we're meant to expose the lies of the enemy so we can spot it. So John Mark Comer says, deceptive ideas, that's what comes from the devil, that play to disordered desires, that's our flesh, that are then normalized in sinful society, that's the world. That's the struggle that we face. We have an enemy that's telling deceptive lies, appealing lies, that appeal to our, our desires, our disordered desires, our flesh, and then it starts to get normalized in the world. And so now I've got this obstacle of this enemy who makes, it, makes things easily deceptive that appeal to me, my own struggle with just this flesh, and then other people around me that tell me it's no big deal, it's normal. Game, set, match. <laughs> we face a lot. But it's important to recognize how he operates. So let me give you like, like a picture of this, okay? Just one example, I and mean, there's so many to choose from. We can look at individual relationship situations that we get in. But let's just, since we're talking about lies specifically, let's talk about the idea of truth. What is like a common phrase now in our society? My truth. My truth. It's a deceptive lie. I have an experience. I have real circumstances that I face. And then... They affect me in certain ways. I process them in certain ways. I respond to them in certain ways. That's all real. But this idea of my truth, it's appealing to my innate desire to shape the world. I want it to, to shape it the way I want it to be shaped, to, to create my worldview of how I'm gonna live, how I'm gonna operate. I can define who I am. See, we might know some really obvious ways that contradict the scripture where people are identifying themselves in certain ways. But listen, this is something subtle that gets into all of our lives. Like, I'm gonna set the course of my life. I'm gonna define who I am. And so Satan plays on these things because he's a master at that because that's what he was all about in his own pride. And so he plays on these deceptive ideas that appeal to me. I shape my life, my destiny, you know, my desire for freedom. And notice the quote, is it still up there? It can go back up there. Um, the quote, it's disordered desires. It's a desire that's been twisted. Did God make us to experience freedom? Yeah. But Satan twists it and our desires twist it so that I define what freedom is instead of learning to experience the freedom that God wants me to have. 
that's healthy and good and that's beneficial to all. And so then in society, we normalize these lies and we just embrace them. And so listen, in, in different cultures at different times, the lies change, but it's really all the same. It's really all the same. And so this is how Satan operates. And so, But Jesus tells us how we can deal with that. In the same passage in John 8, if we just go forward a few verses, this is where Jesus is talking about who he is. John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now leave those up for a minute, Bart. Did they all fit on one screen? I guess they don't. Go back to 31 then for a second. How many of you have just heard that simple phrase, the truth will set you free, right? How many of you, maybe before you even ever read the Bible, ever came to Christ, ever went to church, had you already heard that phrase, the truth will set you free, right? Many of us have like, it's just kind of a known phrase. We chop this passage up and separate it out into pieces. The truth will set you free. Well, whose truth and what's free? What does that mean? So Jesus defines how this works. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But verse 31 tells us how we can know the truth. It's not just like I understand some facts and information. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Friends, the problem with lies, it's not about the lies that we believe. It's about the lies that we live. That's the problem. I begin to operate and cooperate with lies. And the more my life is built upon things that are lies, the more they become true in my life. And then the more that they can work and rip off and destroy. I'm not loved. God doesn't love me. I have no purpose. I'm not gonna be constrained by this God and how he identifies me. And man, not only does he not love me, but man, I'm just, I'm unlovable. Look at my life. Like my friendships fall apart. My marriage fell apart. I'm, I, I can't even be loved. Well, we cooperate and believe that lie long enough. And what does that lie become? It becomes reality. I start turning into a person that is unlovable but it's not who I am at my core and it's not how God made me. He designed me for love, to be loved by him, to enjoy healthy, loving relationships with others. But I believe and I cooperate with that lie and I allow the circumstances of the world around me that's broken to convince me that that's true. And I allow the enemy to whisper that truth. And then that, that lie becomes true to me and it destroys That's it. That's what's deceptively there. And it's subtle because we don't even necessarily realize it, right? Like, I don't think a lot of people walk around going, I'm at the center, I'm selfish, I'm prideful, forget God. But it appeals to, to these disordered desires that are in us. The enemy plays upon that. Our own struggles are there. The circumstances we've experienced from the world around us affirm it. And I'm the center point of my life instead of, I worship my creator who loves me. 
I abide in his word, meaning I live as if his word is what's true. And if I will live as if his word is true, and that becomes my norm, it doesn't mean Satan goes away. It doesn't mean my flesh is just suddenly gone and not a problem anymore. It certainly doesn't mean that the world around me has just suddenly become a garden paradise. But what it does mean as I am living in and abiding in the truth of God's word, the truth does become my truth because I've, I've embraced Jesus and his word. And that is beginning to define me. And so I'm able to live in the midst of a fallen world while still dealing with my broken humanity and an enemy who still wants to rip me off. I'm able to navigate life based on truth instead of lies. But if I don't even realize that I'm being bombarded with lies all the time, that every time I open up Instagram, forget what it says, just the images I am seeing are lying to me. Man look, how, man, look how great that person's life is. Man, he or she looked beautiful. I don't look like that. It's a glimpse that, by the way, has probably been highly doctored. Took 20 pictures to get to that. <laughs> I had to scream at my kids 10 times to make them smile for that beautiful family photo that looks like everything's wonderful. Like, guys, we're bombarded by lies all the time. It just, it permeates our society. He's called the deceiver of the whole world for a reason. And so we need to be anchored in truth. So listen, he's real and he's powerful. We're told this so that we can be aware, but not so that we are to be afraid. All right, this message this morning is not meant to, to weigh heavily on us and beat us up and make us afraid and scare us into taking the devil more seriously. We're not called to fear. We're called to sober-minded awareness. And so he has been defeated. So I want to give you a little glimpse of this to kind of wrap things up this morning. He has been defeated. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Like that's a mouthful, but do you hear what he's saying? He's saying what I just read from this. Like he's saying human traditions, empty deceit, philosophy, they permeate the culture, but what sits behind them are the elemental spirits of the world. Our enemy is what sits behind that. So he's saying, be careful that you're not taken captive by it because this stuff is not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled up in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. And then just to make it super clear, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Christ stands victorious over Satan and the way of the world and the struggle of our flesh and in him, connected to him, we triumph. Listen, Christians, we, we, we have to understand this core principle of our life here on this earth. We are absolutely saved and redeemed by the finished work of Christ, by his grace. 
Like, I'm saved by that. I, I just put my faith and trust in him, absolutely. We continue to live a life here on earth after I've made that decision to give my life to him and received him as savior. And what I'm now doing here on this earth is I am living out that reality I've agreed with. He's God, he's king, he's saved me, he's rescued me. Jesus, I wanna cooperate with that. And so Jesus being our Lord means I'm learning. That's, that's how I learned to abide in him. Like, don't let this sound mysterious. Like, Christ in me, that sounds, what does that mean? Like, that's just a mysterious thing. He's in me, he's in my heart. Well, yes. But like, the way I, the way I cooperate with this is I become his disciple. Like he just said in John 8, my disciples are the ones who abide in my truth. And so I come to this God who saves me and loves me and rescues me and say, Lord, teach me how to follow you. Teach me how to walk with you. And his truth permeates my life more and more as I learn to follow him and walk with him. You guys have potentially heard me talk about this before. You know, if we're gonna use the word disciple, like we're called to be a disciple, I gotta know what that means. Well, Jesus defined it in really simple terms when he called the very first disciples. He said, follow me. Come know me. Come walk through life with me. Come spend time with me. Be around me. Follow me and I will make you. He's gonna make us something. He's gonna change us. If I commit to walking with him and following him, there might be moments that are huge and revolutionary and quick, like, whoa, he just set me free from that thing. Whoa, he just redefined and healed my marriage. Like, he does instantaneous, miraculous things. But most of the change that takes place is in the slowly but surely, step-by-step, day-to-day walking with God. And as I follow him and I learn his word, and it becomes more and more a part of my life, I am being changed in the process. I'm being transformed. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Because you know what the world needs? People living like that. A disciple was never meant to be a lone ranger who just has, you know, three hours of Bible study with Jesus every morning and now my life is a lot better. Good luck the rest of y'all. We're meant to be on mission with him. Because if we have an enemy who's spreading lies, there better be some people spreading the truth. Because there's people that need to be set free. A couple more verses. How do I do this? Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's his power at work, not me on my own. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks. But I stand in his strength, okay? His authority, his victory. I stand in that strength. And then I allow myself to be equipped so I have the tools that I need to successfully see the enemy defeated. His strength and the tools that he gives. I wanna close um, going back to 1 Peter 5 because he gave us the warning about our adversary, the devil, but there's a couple more verses that follow, and I just wanna end with this encouragement. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. He does tell us, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, 
firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's walking in faith. God, I am choosing to believe in your truth. God, I choose to lay down the lies I've been cooperating with, my truth. Whether they're lies that build up my pride or they're lies that tear me down and tell me I'm worthless and everything in between. God, by faith, I wanna grab hold of you and your truth and thank you that you will confirm your truth in my life. And thank you that you will comfort and restore and strengthen and establish me, even though right now things sure seem really hard. Thank you that you're here and you're present. Satan is real and powerful. He works through deception and lies that are appealing, but he is ultimately defeated in Christ. So therefore, we should live sober-minded and not afraid. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you speak truth. A lot of times that means hard truth that we don't necessarily want to hear. But thank you that you speak truth because it's the most loving thing you could do. Thank you, Jesus, that you are truth and love together. God, would you help us to be sober-minded and aware of our enemy? We don't need to be fighting him under every rock and blaming every little tiny thing that happens on him as if we're helpless. But he is real and he is active and he wants to deceive. And so God, may we just have an awareness of that. But even more than having awareness of him, God, may we have awareness of you. You are our king. You are the triumphant victor. And thank you that we have victory in you. God, today and as we move forward, help us to just be rooted and established in you and your truth to allow your strength to be what helps us. And may we be equipped by the tools that you have given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.